Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, no matter what time of day it is, and no matter where you're located. As you listen to this right here, right now, you are with me, Laura Paget. This is my podcast. It's called Living What You're Given. And we are in a series in 2023 called Turning the Tide. And I wanted to bring stories to you, like the one today, where we are challenged to look at our backgrounds, our education, our history, and stare honestly into the face of the need for change. But sometimes in order to do that, we must pivot to turn the tide. Living what you're given. You know, we're in our third season now, and the name of this season is Turning the Tide. And sometimes we have to really look at what we're doing, seeing, thinking, and we need to kind of ask for help to turn the tide on that. You know, when Peter stepped out of the boat with Jesus coming at him, he looked at the waves and he was terrified. And uh, Jesus basically turned the tide so that it was friendly. And that's what I see this whole season as, uh, turning the tide on uh, things that, that are very important for the survival of our entire planet and definitely our people that live here. So today, I want to welcome in my very special guest. But before I do, as always, I check myself and say, let's thank that musician. Uh, music's important to me. It's important to who I am as a dancer and a writer. But this particular piece was played last year a couple of times. You might remember it. It's called The Pivot. My son Gabriel Tafoya wrote, produced, and is performing this with all the instruments. And he wrote this specifically last year for my series on pivoting. But I wanted to put it in this episode because it's my belief that sometimes we have to completely pivot our brains, our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, and maybe our culture so that we can begin to understand we could do better. So Gabriel, my son, thank you. I'm proud of you. And also his information is always in the show notes if you want to catch up with where he and his band are playing or talk to him about some music. But for right now, I want to welcome in my very special guest. You've heard her before, and this is going to be a powerful episode. Her name is Patricia Raymond. Hi, Patricia. Good day to you and to everybody, your friends, my friends, everywhere, all over the world. I know you're, you're getting all over the world. <laughs> we're So far, we're in about, uh, we heard we were in 10 countries, but now we know we're in 12. So well, this is this is the Lord's work, I believe, and what we need to be doing. Absolutely. 
You know, uh, friends, Patricia has such an extensive bio that if we sat and read the bio, it would be, well, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll be back next time. So what I did, I pulled out some things that that I thought would really uh, highlight who she is now. She's an award-winning author, Christian author, an essayist, a novelist, and she writes about stories of faith and mystery as they intersect with race. Her debut novel, which was set in the 1920s, was called All That Is Secret. It was a Parade Magazine Fall 2021 Mysteries We Love selection, and it was a masterpiece on PBS Best Mystery Books of 2021 selection. You know, that was as recommended by other authors. Now, these are just some of her accomplishments. She's been published in many different kinds of uh, magazines, Christian magazines, Christianity Today. She has always got something really interesting in our daily bread, which I'm tickled when I hear those. And, you know, she's also written books, nonfiction books that uh, you can find on her website. So to know more about her, her accomplishments, her offerings to you as a writer and as a storyteller, truth seeker, which is what I hope we all are, are trying to do here. It, it, check out her website, which we're going to give you at the end of the show. But for right now, I want you also to hear about what she's doing with her latest book, which comes out. It will be out on the 7th of February. This is airing at the end of February. So y'all can go get that book. And you can look at her other books and the reviews, especially All the Secret, and see you know, how much she's affected people. If you read these reviews, you'll see she's really affected a lot of people's lives. But would you help me to welcome my friend, my sister in Christ, my fellow author and fellow seeker and teller of the truth to this show. And we are talking to Patricia Raybon. This is so exciting to have you here. I'm delighted, honored, humbled, <laughs> grateful. And um, excited to share today and wrestle yeah. with some of this stuff. Let's wrestle. You know, yeah. I'm not. I I uh, I always tell you, Patricia. I tell most people, and most people know it, and many of them don't like it, and that's all right. That you know, I'm from the streets. I'm North Denver. Uh, well, well-educated Irish and Italian black belt and tongue, and I have never backed down from a fight. I don't, I don't try to cause them. I'm sure I do just by my presence and my little personality. But, but uh, I see this as a struggle of our nation and our world today because we are talking about your second book, which is called Double the Lies, and it is about racial inequity. It's about the things that happened in Colorado in the 1920s under the KKK rule. And these are uncomfortable topics for us. Uh, I think as white people, we kind of get on our defenses. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how we can help advocate. Uh, it's, a, it's an important piece of our work as a uh, as Christians and as people, people who are not considered of color. The theme that we're talking about, again, is turning the tide. And I want to look at our reluctance 
to maybe stare down the truth about what has happened in our country with our sisters and brothers of color. And one of the ways we do that is to educate ourselves. Oftentimes nonfiction frightens people, but the truths that you have presented in your fiction work are well-researched, they are well-founded, and they are things that nobody can deny. This happened, this happened. So would you give me just, tell me why the title Double the Lies? Well, families and people keep secrets. And in order to do that, they tell, find themselves telling lies. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I felt sure that that would be a an intriguing um, topic to explore in this next mystery novel. You're right. A lot of people aren't interested in reading a nonfiction book or an essay, but they will sit down and read an entire novel um, about um, a time and a place in a way that um, now we look back on with shame. Yes. And one part of the shame of that time were uh, involved the lies that were routinely told by the um, um, majority culture about people of color, uh, people in particular, I'll just cut to the chase. Uh, we're talking about the Klan in Colorado yes, and the lies that they told about Jew Jewish people, Catholics, and Blacks. The lies worked very well to keep people out of opportunity, out of um, participating fully in the, as citizens and um, as taxpaying members of society. And so they, all of the structures, you know, we talk about structural racism and systemic racism, all of them played into the lies. So the real estate, the banking industry, the mortgage industry, they wrote um, redlining uh, maps so that people who were uh, Jewish and Catholic and Black could live in certain neighborhoods. The better neighborhoods were reserved for white people. I'll just say it that way because it was true. And those they called them race, race covenants, quote unquote, protected white people from the quote unquote dangers of all these other people. So it was um, probably not just double the lies, but triple the lies mm -hmm. that were in play, Laura, mm -hmm. all the time, everywhere, to keep this system in place. And then my little amateur detective discovers that it's not just the other people telling lies. She ended up telling a few to herself in order to um, justify um, a path that she um, almost found herself on. So it invites us all to look at the lies that we tell in our culture, in our society, but closer um, to home, in, in, our, in our home, our families, and in our hearts. And uh, I don't wanna leave out churches. I think we tell them in our churches and that's a whole different rabbit hole, but well, I, I think it's down this, at least put our toe in it let's because do it. we know about the, um, the slave Bibles, for example, that yeah. removed 
all of the um, scriptures on deliverance and uh, liberation, um, and then were passed along to uh, slave communities as the gospel, blatantly telling lies. You can find those Bibles uh, on display at the uh, Museum of the Bible in, in Washington, D.C. And so what a um, challenge to all of us to think. I think about uh, Philip Yancey, who, who yes. has written extensively about growing up in um, a what he calls a fundamentalist church that preached racial division and from the pulpit that preached um, uh, the, the lie yeah. that uh, your black brothers and sisters aren't your sister, brothers and sisters. And so everybody, no, uh, nobody gets a pass when we turn the tide to look at these kind of things, even in a novel. That's right. And I have to say, I'm going to keep my mouth shut about how much how much I love it. I just I'm not going to tell, tell anybody how crazy I am about this story. I'm not going to tell them that. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I mean, it, my little face is glowing, which they can't see, but you can. But, you know, as we talk about this, um, I this is not a path I want to go down. I, I mean, I want to go down it because I'm not afraid of it. But you know what? We live in that same thing today. We right. live in lies. We live in division. We live in uh, what uh, you know the political re, uh, redistricting and gerrymandering for one or two parties, and it is an absolute offense in some ways to me to think that we could go back to this because we are backpedaling here. Well, we you are know backpedaling. There's a lot of uh, for the people who peddle these lies. Um, there's a lot of money to be made. Mm -hmm. And keeping people uh, stirred up and at odds with each other. And so those who are um, running political parties, those who are running uh, cable news stations, um, who are running um, big businesses in, in a lot of different places and ways, want the rest of us to be uh, facing down each other with our protest signs and our fist in the air uh, and our guns and our our pickup trucks. They want that mm -hmm. because they those people who are so inclined lap that up and send them their money. Yeah. And um, and so every night they go on their state news stations and uh, cable TV programs and stir the pot um, more and more about those crazy people coming over the border who are going to uh, rape and steal. And um, this is, I, I know that that's another topic and there does need to be, I'm sure, some reasonable uh, work at the border. But one of the things that a friend of mine was telling me yesterday, uh, who's in agriculture, is people have no idea what's going to happen to uh, the, everybody's harping about nobody wants to go to work, nobody wants to go to work. Well, what they don't understand is that there was a certain generation, uh, I think it may have been one or two after ours, and I'm going to say ours, I think you're a little younger than me, but we're in that same. No, we're in the same, yeah. We're in the same. Stopped having kids. Uh -huh. We know lots of childless couples stopped having kids. So there was our workforce. So the ability to bring people in, 
to educate them and to help them get jobs and to pay them a reasonable wage, that's another issue. That's why we don't have a workforce. It, it isn't that people are lazy. It's that some of us got old, we can't work anymore. And there's no one to replace us because folks quit having those kids. So there is a, a real slap upside the head to the restriction, the complete restriction and fear behind allowing immigrants into the United States. I'm not saying it should be done willy nilly, but that I was so uh, blessed. This is a young woman who's a journalist and she's a good friend of mine. And whoo, when she told me that, I just almost fell out my chair. Well, but you have to, you know, Canada, a lot of other countries uh, get it and they're, they keep their, their doors are open because they understand the um, the demographic shifts and understand how um, a viable young workforce is a, a, a plus, not um, not a disadvantage, not a minus. And, um, and they um, aren't peddling these the lies that um, these are the worst kind of people and um, they want to take what you have and we're smarter than that. Yeah. But it's surprising that so many people um, believe it and and give into it. And so here we are. Here we, you know, during just like what during the uh, when I, during the uh, pan, COVID, the worst part of the COVID pandemic, people believed that um, they believed all that misinformation. The government wants to poison you with vaccine, whatever create whatever they heard, to the point of people losing their lives believing the believing the lie so much that they died and we lost relationships during this time one of the hardest things for me was losing two different people that i love and have been in groups with because they tried to convince me that fraud was being practiced in the coding and the and the reporting and i was trying to explain to them how this stuff gets coded out now i have 30 years of the business four degrees and i've been an auditor i've been all these things i have the credentials and boy that they would hear none of it i was a liar i was this i was that and at some point i had to step away and say i love you i'm blessing you on your way bye bye and that is that is something i think you know, but I still, I don't hurt right now behind those relationships. It took me about a year, but I lost two very good friends. And, uh, and because they were just convinced, you know, I couldn't find my way around a medical chart with a search warrant. And, you know, I've been doing a lot, a lot of work over the years on, on this very thing, the integrity of, of medical records. So let me go on now. Let's talk about our book. And I want to give a wee synopsis about, um, about the first book which was where we were introduced to Annalise Spain, who is this young, smart, I'm going to say she's a theologian. Am I right? That's right. I trained. Uh, yeah. Yes. And a, she's a, a black woman who has just all this education. And of course, she's still not going to be allowed to use it in a lot of ways, in most ways. But she ends up in the middle, embroiled in a mystery about the death of her father and how she goes on different jaunts throughout this and uses Sherlock Holmes, who's <laughs> one of her her uh, absolute heroes. She loves him, which Annalie and I have that, and you and I have that in common. I'm a Holmes, I'm a Holmes girl too. But that 
I'm not going to tell any more about that book, but just that it was such a wonderful journey through uh, victory, through resilience. And even so, her heart was so beautiful in helping a young white boy. It's just, folks, you got to read it. That that one's <laughs> called All That Is Secret. I hope I did okay on that. Yes. Now we're going to move into book two in this. Is this a trilogy, Patricia? Well, the publishing house offered a three-book contract. Okay. I'm okay. finishing the third book now. And okay. then um, we'll see where we go from here. So I wouldn't technically call it a trilogy, okay. Good. but we've got three books on the contract and we'll see what happens next. And in this book, yes. Double the Lies, we open up right in your face uh, with murder. We open up with a mystery. Boom. Now that's the teaser for the day. But what is so interesting about this is that this young Black woman is in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. She, really? She just yeah. bad luck here. And um, she ends up being a suspect because she's not white. Right. And, and she's uh, got two, two days to solve this crime. And she's got two days to solve it. Right. Two days to solve it. She'll, she'll, she's in the frame and it'll close on her if she doesn't solve this case. And there's nothing like that kind of pressure tension to keep you turning pages. So as Patricia can see, my eyes are red because I've been up reading her book. <laughs> but the, but you guys, I know I'm, I'm being really crazy here about my enthusiasm, but there was a piece of it. I know you've been talking on other podcasts. I know you've been talking on other formats about this book, but there was something here that I wanted to ferret out. In addition to the atrocity, that this woman, because of the color of her skin, she's, you know, it reminds me of In the Heat of the Night. Rod mm -hmm. Steiger, Sidney Poitier, one of my favorite movies. I got the motive, which is money, and the body, which is dead. And he's going. <laughs> he's going to jail. He's a black man in the South. It's like, oh, boy, there it is. But the interesting thing to me about this is this, this uh, potential romance, interracial romance that yeah. you weave into this story and bring us a whole nother piece of uncomfortable, very ugly reality in the, what they call the racial integrity laws. Right. I'm wondering, can we talk about that? Or you talk about what you yeah. want. Because um, I didn't plan that. When it, when the plot turned in that direction, um, one of the things I've challenged myself with this fiction is to um, go where I wouldn't normally go. And so when the plot turned that way, I thought I'm gonna follow this breadcrumb and see where it leads. And so <laughs> where it, it leaded um, initially is to my young um, protagonist recognizing that, wait a minute, I'm flattered by this. I'm flattered by this attention that I'm getting from this young white man. Yep. And uh, because the um, the person she's given her heart to has suddenly gone missing, and um, she suspects that um, his his departure maybe wasn't on the up and up. And so she's sit, uh, sitting here in the midst of all of this, and here's a young um, white pilot, a trick trick pilot, a barnstormer pilot, right, who's um, offering her his heart. And boy, 
that's <laughs> there we are in that place but of that time 30 states in the country at that time had on their um, had racial integrity laws on the books that prohibited any um, relationship between by by people who weren't white with white people I'll say it that way yes and yes. Um, and they not only were they on the books but they were enforced. Colorado, where I live, was one of those states. It wasn't until 1967, I believe it was, when the Supreme correct. Court passed. The Supreme Court overturned it. That is correct. Overturned it. And at that time, there were still 16 states that had those book, those laws, racial integrity laws, on their books. And uh, there may be a couple now who, that still do, even though the, the Supreme Court has, has turned uh, reversed to that. Yeah. But that idea yeah. of racial integrity, the uh, Eugenics Association, did you see that? Yesterday they apologized for playing a lead role in passing along the lies that um, people who weren't white didn't have the same level of intelligence and the same yes. level of, of physical and moral integrity. And so it was the the systems that kept those lies going hmm. and expand included uh, academics and so, so-called science and um, and you know my little character says to this this guy they will kill you you know you, we we can't we cannot go here but she had to ask herself if I wanted to have this relationship what what would that mean what would that be saying about me and, so it gives her opportunity to question what uh, her heart, the uh, the intent of the the uh, the laws, and then for us as readers to do the same thing, to think about these things. I mean, I think about the time I, when I was in high school, Laura. Um, mm, yeah. White young white boy asked me out on a date, and I so I came home and I asked my dad, you know, if I could go out on the date with this boy. And my dad looked at me a, a long time. And then he said, no. Yeah. And so, and and my dad ruled the roost. And so I wasn't going to violate that law. But, um, you know, the these are deep things that people have in their hearts for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, you never know until you allow yourself to walk over the color line and learn that um, all the lies that we've been told don't add up to a hill of beans. So, they do. so that's and part of the, what's, uh, the subplot in this mystery novel. She still has to solve this crime, but that's part of the subplot. And that's what is so lovely about your writing is you have these subplots, which in a way give some relief to the tension. I'm watching this as I as I'm a writer and may do fiction someday, may not. But as I watch this, I watch the subplot that gives relief to the brain, to the soul, so we can go off on just a minute of of a different breath. And that's I I heard that. Uh, I heard that a long time ago, but I'm watching it through this. And that 1967 ruling was done by uh, the Supreme Court. It was a unanimous decision. Mm -hmm. And Chief Justice Warren, I found a quote by him on this. And he said, 
the right to marry or not to marry lies with individuals under the uh, lies with the individual mm -hmm. under the United States Constitution. Now, in this particular case, it was interracial. But as we yeah. look at it today, we see our brothers and sisters who are of a different sexual persuasion fighting the same thing. I mean, the same thing. Under the Constitution, the right lies within the individual. Yes. That's right. it. And, that, and I thought that was very interesting. I didn't know that. And the idea of racial differences based on these things that they brought forth and presented as facts. Right. The lies that people were told. When I was in high school, I dated a gentleman who was, um, his parents were from the Philippines. They were farmers. And mm -hmm. my father hated him. And my father had also been kicked out of Grand Junction by the Klan mm -hmm. for being a Catholic. And he wasn't a Catholic. He was like, I'm a lapsed Catholic. It's like, you got to go, Carbello. So, you know, oh, yeah. he understood <laughs> what that felt like on both ends. And I could never understand as I got older and I looked at this sort of thing. I could never understand how did he, but he allowed himself, as Anna Lee has allowed herself, to look at something through a lens that had pe been peppered with lies. And uh, I, I really, it broke my heart. He was my first love and his name was... Uh, you know Ramirez, and they were from uh, they were from the Philippines, and they were. Mm -hmm. I and I never understood, but boy, my dad would have none of it. The lies. I'm so glad you brought up what the lies were in racial integrity laws, how they were established, how they were held up and 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 promoted, and that as those, including by the church, including by the church, especially. Oh, I know, and, and speaking of Mr. Yancey. Um, I'm reading a book right now by him called Vanishing Grace. Mm -hmm. And in there, this is what he's talking about, the way we treat each other, but especially the way we, you know, kind of are always trying to make everyone a project. We thingify, if you'll take yeah. that word, a friend of mine, Marcus Watson, who's a pastor in California, uses this word called thingification, that yeah. everybody's a thing, everybody's <laughs> a project, everybody has, and, and, <laughs> It, it is a great book. It's a great book called Beyond Thingification. And what he talks about, what he taught me, my thinking too, I can often see people in a lens that says that person has to fill a role. Right. And our churches do a great our job. Little, our little brains are um, wired that way. Um, it's, yep. Things feel better to us when we can put people in boxes and buckets. And, uh, and that's why people have asked that question. Where are you from? Um, you know, they see somebody who in their mind doesn't look American, you know, in this country or someone. Where are you? Where where are you really from? And people are saying, well, I'm from um, Kansas City. No, where are you really from? Yeah. Because, of, yeah. you know, the brain is um, the, urging us to, to put people in these little categories so we can understand this very complicated world. Yeah. And we have to separate people. We cannot be in a, a homogenous, <laughs> a, a homogenous brain. And I always giggle about that when they would ask my father where he was from because he was first generation, and he would say uh, Sicily. They were from Sicily, yeah. and uh, well, and Calabria, which is southern Italy. But um, I always thought, you know, what do you mean? He was born in Grand Junction. What are you talking about? But right. it's you're right. And now that we look back on that. 
Um, it's an it's an interesting thing, and we can catch ourselves on this as well. And you know, God calls us to love all people. Mm -hmm. So how do we now? We've talked a little bit about the book, and I don't want to give a lot away, but yeah, there's a murder, and it's it's tricky, and there's very um, complicated with the characters. The character development in this book is so good. The cops just crack me up. I just love them. <laughs> but um, the interesting piece of it is, as she unpacks her own lies, she's helping us through the lens of fiction to unpack the lies that maybe we didn't even know we knew. Yes. Things that I, as a white person, or I guess a person who's considered not of color, I, I, I guess as a, as a white person, how do I help in this mission to unpack the lies along with you, along with Annalie, along with my other brothers and sisters of color, and mostly along with my friends who are white, because we need to be advocates in this world for our friends, our sisters and brothers of color. We do. We need to be advocates for justice. And justice is not about division. So help me as a white person understand how do I come alongside? How do I advocate for the dismissal of these lies? First, people have to do their own work. Somebody asked me yesterday, what's your superpower? You know, people are starting to say that these days. And um, I said, my superpower is him. My superpower is that I, my daily reading of the word and daily um, petitioning and prayer. That's that he is the power. And when I go to him first and see what the word says, then I learn why, um, how much um, God hates lying. He hates it. The, the uh, um, one of the Psalms says that the, the, the Lord detest lying lips and that there's no nobody whose lies will stand in his presence i mean it's and so we can talk to one another about this but when we to get convicted we if we go to the word then we see oh this is not just this isn't just some um small thing this is a lying is a big thing to god and so when we start there and then begin to fall on our faces and say, Lord, I'll shine a light on those things that are lies in my head and in my heart um, and clean that up and alert me when I'm getting ready to swallow um, yet again another lie. That's where the work gets done. So people say, how can I help? That's how. Um, our advocates who are white, that's how we can, they can help. Yes, and not shying right. away from the truth and that's not right. putting on my uh, defensiveness. And we talked about that earlier about, well, I wasn't there. No, you weren't there, but you're here now. And the problems are still here. And um, I, I remember once I began when I was at Regis University doing diversity work and I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and as I began to learn, I I got kind of little these little antennae, and I started looking around, and I would go into some place and I would watch it. Here's an example: I was in a uh, sandwich shop, and I'm not going to say the name. And mm -hmm. there was a woman and her two little girls ahead of me. She had on a burqa, and mm -hmm. uh, she 
we were standing there and everybody's waiting. Now, the gentleman who was waiting on the line overlooked her, looked at me and said, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. Now, before that, I would have said, well, I'll take it. Instead, I said, you can help me by helping her. She was there here first. Right. So that's a little thing. That's right. a little thing. Um, and and yet she looked at me and her eyes were moist. And I thought, oh, how many times does this happen to you? And right. so anyway, he helped her and they went on their way. But I was so grateful for the little at that point, just a little bit of training. And as I've gone on, I've been really blessed to have some good mentors like you in my life to help me see these things. Because we don't know what we don't know. If you and grow if you, up your whole life, you don't know this is wrong. And it's if you wrong. don't and if you don't have to know. You mentioned no. training and learning. So the other part of that, I said go to the word. And then the, the other part of that is um go to the words read books my husband always people ask he's to do diversity awareness training and um, he would tell people they need to do their personal work first and then they need to sit down and read some books uh, there's a hashtag on on instagram and facebook that says hashtag read more women hashtag read more black women hashtag read more women of color um and so that's about being, that's, there's an intentionality about that when we say, I want to hear more voices. I've been in this silo on this TV station or this radio program that I listen to. I have, I am going to break down those walls and uh, listen to somebody else. Uh, somebody was sitting around a devotional today on what the, of the sacred nature of listening and hearing oh, somebody wow. else. And, uh, and so one, then part of that is the decision to say, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be intentional about this. Mm-hmm. And when we are, we just learn so much more. We meet so many. And so I love that this book um, is a, this novel puts a face on, in this case, a young woman of color and um, invites and her world and invites people in. And, you know, and people are saying, I'm rooting for her. Um, what's going to, when's the, what's going to happen next? When's the next book? And so if we can root for a fictional character, then we can root for um, pe- people in the real world who look like her. Oh, wow. That is an absolutely brilliant statement. And I'm so grateful again for your work. I'm grateful for your presence. I'm also very aware of your time and Mm -hmm. I don't want to take too much of it, but I just wanted to say, uh, friends, Patricia's going to give us her website here in a minute where they can go and look you up and who you are. Uh, The book is available on Amazon. It's you. By the time you hear this, it will be out. And uh, so I'm not going to, you know, you don't need to go pre-order. You can get it. You can order it. And I am just really encouraging people to go and look at your website, see some of the other work you've written, see some of the things that you've dealt with in your own life. Um, Mm -hmm. My first white friend, uh, Undivided, your own biases, the things that were really affecting your walk and your life and the vulnerability 
uh, the honesty, the authenticity of Patricia Raybon encourages us to walk into those things ourselves. And, you know, it's interesting how easy it is to become defensive. And I say, put your defenses in a book somewhere. Just have a big white, blue, red, like, I don't care, but big bucket and put a big D on it for defense. And maybe that fence they use at the Bronco game, defense, do yeah. it because defenses are deterrence. Right. And we cannot afford deterrence anymore. Deterrence from learning the truth. That really is fodder for our division, can never help us. What would you like to leave our listeners with some gems that you want to share with us, Patricia, please? The last thing, um, what is Jesus said? A man who was doubting and said, I don't, you know, he said, I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm going. You're, Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to go. And, and uh, this this. Thomas said, but we, we don't know. We don't know how to get there. We don't know the way. And the Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And everybody can go and read the whole, that's in John 14, they can read the whole thing. But um, that's what I want to leave with people. All this other stuff um, is not the truth. And so my invitation to all of us is every day, every day, go back to he who is the truth. That you'll have a completely different life with him and with everybody else when we do that. Oh, that's wonderful. I thank you. And I love the hashtags. I wrote them down. I'm going to put them in the show notes too. And I'm also going to put your website there. Oh, uh, Patricia? But people, yes. PatriciaRaybon.com, R it's R A Y B like boy, O N, uh, like Nancy. <laughs> com. So my website. Um, we're in the digital world, so of course there. And you can also find me on Instagram and on Twitter and Facebook. Um, but at my website, I invite people to sign up for my reader circle, and yeah. then I get to. A visit with everybody, uh, you know, occasionally for updates and thoughts and giveaways and all sorts of things. Are your other links uh, to Twitter, to Instagram, Facebook and stuff like that? Are they on your website? So for yes. those, excellent. So it's a one stop shopping. That's right. And have a look at those books, friends. Yeah. And I'm I'm so tickled. I wish we had two hours, but, you know, I know you don't. And I'm hoping that. Uh, we're we're going to keep getting this word out. And I know I, I'm sending this out to as many people as I can in terms of the book right now and having just a wonderful read, uh, learning and understanding that I didn't know what I didn't know. But right now I know better and it's time to start doing better. And as a person who, you know, is saying she'd like to advocate, sitting on my duff, doing nothing, letting other folks do the work. That ain't enough. Damn. We're out of options on that end. So, Patricia, love to your husband, Dan. Dear man. Thank you. <laughs> and you guys have a blessed day. I want to thank you. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and just quickly sign off. And then we're... 
you know, we're out of here, folks, for this time. I never know when she's going to have time to come back, but anytime I can get her on the show, I do. And yet I know how busy, busy, busy she is. So thank you, Patricia. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Love um, to you. Love to you. Love to you all, everybody. There you go. Friends, I'm Laura Padgett. If you want to catch up with me, you can catch up with me at lauralpadgett.com. That's my website, also in the show notes. Check out Gabe's music, too. His information is in the show notes as well. And in the meantime, I really challenge you to look at the seas that are raging in your life. And I'm talking S-E-A-S-C's, you know, like where Mr. Whale lives, all that stuff. Think about areas where you may need to be turning the tide, areas you may need to bring your heart, your soul, your mind into a posture to pivot. Till then, see you in a couple weeks. God bless and bye-bye. Thank you.